Welcome to the Holy Soup Podcast, where the church's status quo and sacred cows get rounded up, simmered down, and dished out. And now, here's your chief cook, author, innovator, filmmaker, and founder of Group Publishing, Tom Schultz. Welcome to Holy Soup. Today we're talking about something called God Space, and we'll be talking with Doug Pollock, who is uh, the author of uh, a book called God Space and also a resource called Activating God Space, and it has to do with spiritual conversations, how we talk about, uh, well, really what are some of the most important things in life of belief and faith and engaging with God on a very personal level. But those are things that, uh, well, frankly, a lot of us have uh, some real trouble bringing up topics like those with our friends and relatives and coworkers. We're afraid of uh, how we might come off, and uh, sometimes that causes us simply to clam up or to uh, engage in such a way that uh, might put some people off. But our guest today, Doug Pollock, has found some ways that uh, put people at ease and uh, help us talk about some of these most important things in life in a way that's, that's natural and inviting. Welcome, Doug. Hey, great to be with you today, Tom. Doug is uh, the evangelism trainer of Athletes in Action, and uh, he's, uh, in addition to authoring the resources that I just mentioned, he's uh, the co-author of Irresistible Evangelism. And uh, he's got a lot to say and a lot of experience to share about uh, this whole topic. But first of all, I'd like to start off, Doug, with simply asking you, what is this thing you call God space? What does it look like and sound like when people engage in God space? Well, I'd like you to go one step further. What does it feel like? Because I think for a lot of people, we've all been raised in a culture that tells us there's two things we're not supposed to talk about in public, politics and religion. And so for a lot of us, uh, not only do we have that, that heavy uh, uh, admonition that we're all been weaned on, but uh, I think for a lot of people in a PC culture, we're just not sure how to bring up the topic of faith without, I'll, I'll put it in this language, without weirding people out or being labeled as one of those kind of Christians. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> So a lot of people end up remaining silent because they lack the competence and confidence to go there. In fact, the number one question I'm asked, Tom, all over the world by God's people is, how do I, how do I just get the conversation started, and how do I do that in a natural way? And I think, um, you know, for a lot of people... Um, this is awkward both ways, because Christians don't know how to bring it up uh, in a way that makes someone feel safe, feel like, hey, you know, I can share my real thoughts about this and not feel like someone's going to beat me up with the King James Bible or, um, you know, quickly tell me why I'm wrong and they're right. And so I think when you look at the word God space and think about trying to get your head around that, what if we could just say, what if we all could learn how to create a safe space for cynics, skeptics, curious people uh, to actually share their real thoughts and where they currently are living in relationship to God and and to feel like they're not going to get judgment, they're not going to get shamed, 
Uh, instead, they're going to be listened to. They're going to be respected. Um, we're going to uh, very much seek to understand them and before we seek to be understood. And so I think a lot of people are clamoring for something like that. In fact, if you would permit me the time, I'd, I'd like to share a, a, a recent story that just, I think, drives this whole point home and why we need to be able to do this. Yeah, tell us about it. I, I really believe that one of the greatest ways we can connect with people in this world is to find the things that we're passionate about. And uh, those might be hobbies. It might be a, a, something we do sports-wise. It might be whatever it is we, we're really into. And from, in my case, uh, it's table tennis. I've had eight knee surgeries, and all the sports I used to play yet when I was younger, my doctor said those are a no-no now. So table tennis is that one sport I've been doing a lot of. And Table tennis, that, that's what uh, us common folk call ping pong? Yes, yeah, well, it, it, it is just a tad different. The table tennis, uh, not trying to be snobby here, but all right. there is a little difference. And I... Uh, had the privilege of playing probably one of the top three players in all of Southwest Ohio here recently. And I earned some respect. I, I, I won a few games. I think he won the lion's share of them. But, you know, he really respected the fact that I held my own with him. And as a result, he actually agreed to play in a tournament with me as my doubles partner. And so I don't know how he found this out because we only really played twice. And there wasn't much time for conversation. We were just enjoying the sport together. But in going to the tournament, we had about an hour, an hour and a half's trip to get to the tournament. And when he gets in the car, the first thing he says is, hey, I hear you talk about God. Well, I wasn't quite sure where he got that information and what that really meant to him. So I said, well, I, I do... Uh, get opportunities to do things like that quite often. He says, well, you know I'm Buddhist, uh, don't you? And I said, no, I didn't know that. He said, yeah, I grew up in Thailand, and and um, I was raised uh, Buddhist. And I said, are you, would you say today you're Buddhist by conviction or just by the mere fact that you grew up in Thailand, that's how you were raised? And, and he explained that it was because he was raised that way. And he said, um, I actually checked out Christianity once. I said, really? What was that like for you? He said, well, I was interested in the, in the person of Jesus and decided to go to a church once, and I had some questions, and my first question was about the virgin birth. And um, I was immediately told by the pastor that we don't ask questions like that here. And he immediately, his impression was that real faith and people who have real belief just don't ask questions because if you're a believer, you don't need to ask those questions. You believe. Mm. And so in his case, he immediately crawled back in his shell because he had ventured out to ask this question, didn't feel safe because no God space had been created. Instead, just the opposite. Um, this pastor uh, could have found himself in my book in Chapter 2 where I talk about the 10 spiritual conversation killers that Christians often commit. And, and as a result, uh, my Buddhist friend immediately decided that, well, I'll never come back here. I'll never ask another question like that. And so he went off on a 15-year hiatus where he explored atheism, science, and a whole bunch of other things. 
And so I said, well, I'm curious. I, what other questions would you have asked him that day about the Christian faith? And, Tom, it was that simple. I basically, first of all, I reacted. I was very upset that the pastor had done that to mm-hmm. me. And I said, I said, you know what's interesting? I'd want you to know this. Jesus actually encouraged people to ask, seek, and knock. In fact, Jesus promised if you do ask, seek, and knock, that uh, that's when many times the aha will come, the, the answer will come, the door will be open to you. And I said, I'm just curious what other kinds of questions you had. And so for the next hour and a half, Tom, he laid out all of the questions he had about the Christian faith. And then I just simply asked for permission to take a stab at answering some of those. Um, first, I did some listening. I said, well, it sounds like uh, these questions for you are very important, that there's no way that in your heart you could embrace the Christian faith because your mind has these roadblocks right now on these questions that are keeping you from your heart. He goes, that's exactly it. Mm. And I said, could I take a moment, could I take you know the rest of our time and maybe answer some of those questions? He says, oh my gosh, yeah. So I just very simply walked through the different questions and... Uh, when we get to the tournament, he said, you don't know how much this means to me. This is what I needed to believe in Jesus. Hmm. And later that morning, somebody else who knew him well come up to, came up to me in the tournament and said, you must be a brother in Christ. I said, well, how would you know that? Well, my friend over here, who you know is Buddhist, told me about the conversation you had, and all he's been doing this morning is talking about Jesus wow. and why he now believes in Jesus. And I thought to myself, wow, here is a great example of someone who said no thanks to, if you want to say, our traditional God space, because when he went to church, he found out that it was not okay to ask a question that he Mm. had. So that'd just be one example, Tom. You know, the God space or spiritual conversations involve, as you've just described, a lot of give and take, a a lot of listening. You know, I'm curious about you personally. Now, you come from a background that uh, I have to say is sometimes known for a lot of telling. How did you come to see the benefits of engaging people in spiritual conversations, in in give and take, in listening, in in God space? Well, I often refer to myself as a recovering evangelist. (laughs) And I don't say that for just, you know, for the laugh and the chuckle, which it usually gets. I am serious when I say that, and my recovery started when I was actually challenged with a book uh, that was called, that the title of the book was called Listening for Heaven's Sake. Hmm. And as I read and uh, began to ponder the incredible uh, truths in this book, I began to realize that in very few situations, I was ever listening for heaven's sake. Mm. I was trained to be in control of the curriculum for the conversation. I was trained to, rather than to engage someone, I was trained in, in some ways to perform, to, to be kind of a marketing rep for Jesus. So I had a script, and I was supposed to go through that. And, in fact, I think I was trained not to even allow questions. Questions were just smoke screens many times that got people off the track of where I felt like I needed it and wanted to take them. And I began to, to reflect upon a lot of the so-called conversations I had had for 
12 or 13 years in the ministry, and I began to realize these weren't conversations at all. These were really, I mean, regularly I committed three evangelistic misdemeanors hmm. in all of these these endeavors. I, I Most of the time I would exceed the speed limit. I was always... <laughs> probably getting going faster with information that they were ready to digest. Secondly, I was running stop signs. I, I kind of look back and people's body language was communicating, hey, this isn't something I'm into right now. But I felt like I had to get to, you know, the most important point uh, or else I had failed as a uh, gospel presenter. Mm. And then thirdly, I think when someone was trying to take the conversation someplace else, I would hijack it and take it over and get it redirected back to where I wanted it to go. And what I noticed, Tom, as I reflected upon all these scenarios, is that so often it was one and done, meaning that after my presentation was over, most of the time they didn't want to see or talk with me again. Hmm. And that caused me to think, you know, when I look at Jesus, I, didn't, I don't see this going on with Jesus. Every one of his conversations were unique. And I actually seeing that people were seeking him out after many of the conversations that were that he was having with the culture and they wanted to talk more and i just wondered well, what did he do that i'm not doing hmm. and i think uh james 119 comes to mind and we're supposed to be quick to listen and slow to speak and i think at that time my spiritual gift was being quick to speak and being slow to listen mm. you know as uh as you've mentioned earlier many people i think are are scared stiff about bringing up matters of faith or religion with their friends or co-workers or family members they're afraid of offending or maybe damaging a relationship how does your approach help people feel comfortable and natural about talking about spiritual things well i i would say that there, there are multiple layers or answers to that question i think the first foundation that we all need to operate from is is from a passage of scripture in first peter which tells us that we should be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within us but we're to do that when anyone asks us and we're also told that we're to do this with gentleness and respect if we can learn how to respect people in a conversation and create space for uh spiritual conversations to happen naturally, then what I've learned is that people actually do want to have them because they've been hardwired to have them. I mean, they're created in God's image. And I often say, just like birds fly south in, in the winter, people are hardwired to have spiritual conversations because God has made us that way. So this idea that we're not supposed to talk about politics and religion, I think has has become the norm in our culture because typically when we talk about these things, it ends up in an argument. And and usually it ends up in a standoff where both sides are yelling at each other to listen to them because they feel like they're right and the other side's wrong. Well, if we can learn to, to respect one another and have conversations with what I like to call convicted civility, where I acknowledge the fact that where they are in their relationship with God and where they are in their spiritual journey is where they're at. And I'm not going to change that by trying to argue them out of their present position. In fact, uh, when I create a safe space, people uh, really want to have these conversations. And 
when they feel like they're being listened to, they actually open up. And you know the strange thing that happens, Tom? Mm. They actually, there's a reaping and sowing principle. When I listen to them, they in, re- in return many times listen to me mm. because I have first demonstrated Philippians 2.3, which says to be consider others better than ourselves. And one of the best ways to do that in a conversation is to show up ready to listen first. Mm. You know, you mentioned uh, that we need to be prepared to answer people's questions, and you, you gave the example of your Buddhist friend in the car. You know, that very thought, I think, paralyzes some people. They're, they worry that, well, I don't have all the answers. I'm not uh, a seminary-trained professor. I don't, I don't have these ready answers for questions that people might ask. So that causes them simply to clam up. How do you help a person like that? Well, you you must have been touring with me to all the places <laughs> I go. I actually have been using a internet uh, piece of software that allows me to to take live polling results in my audiences, so that I can create more of a dialogue in in the audience and know what people are thinking. And the number two fear that people have when it comes to spiritual conversations is what if they ask me a question that I can't answer? And I think it is a big one, Tom. It's a huge one for people. And the first thing I tell people is, please, for heaven's sake, don't step out on a limb and feel like you have to bail God out and give some half-baked response that leaves Christians all looking like if we had a brain cell, it'd probably be starving to death. (laughs) Too often, Christians feel like they have to do that, or otherwise they fail God. And, and I think we need to understand God's big enough to handle people's questions. And I think what we really need to do in the moment is to, if we don't have an answer, instead of trying to poke around and just throw something out there, just stop and, and, and first of all acknowledge, you know, first of all, that is a great question. And I'm going to tell you, I don't have the answer to Mm. that. But most of us are connected if we're in a faith community or we're close to a Christian bookstore or even the Internet. Most of us have access to finding out answers or getting another person who spent a lot of time thinking about stuff like that and, and just stop and say very authentically, hey, I want to find out the answer to your question, and I've got this friend that I think spends a lot of time studying stuff like this, could I invite him to coffee next week and maybe uh, he, he would be willing to tee off on your, your question because I want to find out the answer to this too. Or you run to a Christian bookstore and you do your homework and find out what's the best resource that might you know serve as a response to this. Or you go to the Internet. So I think there's lots of resources available. And I think when when people ask good questions, when they sense our genuine, sincere desire to know the answer ourselves, they're not going to put us down for that because they're just going to recognize the authenticity of saying, hey, I just ask a question that they've never been asked before. And, you know, kudos to me. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess you, you can feel good about yourself, but hey, I just raise a question that um, they really want to find the answer yeah. to. So. You know, it's, it's interesting, Doug, that uh, some of the research that we've been doing on the Duns, those who have uh, walked away from the organized church, one of the top reasons that they list for walking away is uh, that they they feel that there is this sense of uh, 
Christians or Christian leaders having this know-it-all attitude or this uh, uh, posture of, I have all the answers. And what you've just said is, uh, in fact, uh, it's not only okay for us to say, I don't have all the answers, but that that is refreshing uh, for those who may be wondering that that they hear that uh, there's there's a real authenticity and a lack of arrogance from uh, from those of us who just simply admit you know we don't have all the answers. Yes, as they say in New Zealand, you are spot on with that observation, and I am imploring people in my audience to say, listen, we have to get to a place in our journey where we where we are we we become comfortable with mystery and. There's just things that you are not going to get answered this side of heaven. And I said, believe me, if, if the disciples had questions of Jesus and they were hanging out with him 24-7 and Thomas still doubted, uh, even after he'd heard the stories of the resurrection, and the Apostle Paul said, I see through glasses dimly that, that he, even though I would say probably the greatest revelation ever given to a human being, the Apostle Paul had it, and yet he still acknowledged that um, there, there were things that he just, this side of heaven, didn't fully comprehend and didn't fully get. Mm-hmm. Then I think we can give ourselves permission to say, you know, as hard as I want to study and as much as I'd like to have all the answers, there are just some things that I will not get answered until heaven. And you know what? I can be okay with that. Mm. You know, there's another fear. I think uh, some people fear entering into relationships or conversations with others, uh, particularly not yet believers, because they think that by doing so, they might be seen as endorsing uh, those people's beliefs or values or lifestyles or behaviors. I know you've written about that in God's space. How do you respond to those who fear that they, they would be endorsing someone else's beliefs? Well, it is a tension, and I, I have to be uh, uh, very honest. It's a tension that most of us, I would say most of the body of Christ today, I'm not sure we're doing that well with the tension. We either fall off of one side or the other. We either, uh, we either let people know that not only do we not endorse their lifestyle, um, and, and what they're all about or their belief system, but we don't accept them because we're basically saying if you want our acceptance, you have to believe and behave like I think you should. So we have that camp. We have people who have fallen off on that side. And then I think we also have a lot of people today in a, in a politically correct culture where uh, we're just completely the, – the word sin and anything that's wrong, anything – we don't want to go there. We we want, not only do we want to accept people, but we end up endorsing things that the Bible uh, speaks about, and 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 God is uh, opposed to because He knows He has something better for us than maybe a, a, a present lifestyle that somebody's adopted or a present belief system that would take somebody away from the living God. And um, so it is very much. Uh, a a high wire act, and I, I think I love the admonition the Scripture gives us to, to st- keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. 
He's the author and perfecter of our faith. I know you're pretty big on that because you have a, <laughs> a, a Bible out right now encouraging people. Yeah, the Jesus-centered Bible. Yeah, I, I love it. And, and I love it because it's where we need to land the plane always on topics like this. And what I feel like we have missed is, is Jesus. And we've missed what it took for him to actually get the label friend of sinners. Hmm. And I think what got him that label, what how he earned it, uh, one uh, situation at a time, is he offered, in front of the Pharisees, he offered radical acceptance uh, to people. But if you look clear, carefully, he didn't offer endorsement. Hmm. And I think that's how we work that out. That's part of our challenge of working out our salvation. But I think keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus um, is really the key in in those matters. And at times, I will be honest, in the moment, you're not sure if you necessarily got it all right. Mm. But that's part of the journey, isn't it, to keep coming back to Jesus and talking to him about it and to continue to live in that tension. It seems like uh, we begin by understanding that there is a difference between acceptance and endorsement. Yes, I I think there is, and I think there's a... uh, I have been for probably a couple years, you would know this, that I have uh, been looking at writing something like, uh, you know, a book on this, as I feel like in most of our churches, people are woefully unprepared for how to handle the difficult situations we're finding ourselves in in the culture, in a post-Christian culture. We're getting hit with this stuff right and left and, and conversations and Honestly, we, we blow ourselves up and we step on the landmines because we've never been challenged to think through the the tightrope walk that, that uh, we have to make in a culture that uh, like we live in today. And um, my problem has been I've been traveling and speaking so much I haven't had time to, to get mm. around to write this resource, but I'm, I'm hoping that uh, I'll keep after it. that might happen soon. <laughs> You know, when it when it comes to radiating our faith with those around us, you know, when you think about it, that's been encouraged from the pulpit frequently, forever. I, I've heard sermons on that uh, since I was a little kid. Why hasn't that been enough, or, or has it? Oh, I love that question. And, uh, I mean, that is a million-dollar question. I think everybody inherently would, in their most honest uh sincere moment would say, I know this is something I should be doing. And yet stats show that that probably 90% of people have opted out or are very reluctant to even take a step in that direction. And and I think uh, there are a couple reasons for it, uh, Tom. Number one, I think that most churches, by their very modeling, have set us up for failure. That most churches put all the emphasis on playing what I call home games. A home game, of course, in the world of sports is where your crowd is, you know, the the dominant uh, crowd in the arena. In in the case of church, your stage is on the stage. You're playing your music. And we're always trying to invite people into that environment where the expert is up front, if you would. And, And we aren't really trained or encouraged how to have the conversation our job is just to get them into the building so the master fisherman can go to work Mm. i don't know many pastors honestly who are taking their people out 
and showing them how to increase the quality and the quantity of their conversations. They just have never seen it, Tom. And so because they haven't seen it, for a lot of people, they can't conceive themselves doing anything different than maybe what they've seen done in the culture. So a lot of them have seen street preachers or obnoxious people at work or people who have been very disrespectful. And the moment you say, when you, when you get them to think about doing it outside the four walls of the church, that's the image that comes to their mind and say, if that's what you want me to do, I won't do it. Mm. And so I think for a lot of people, seeing is believing. And unfortunately, we just, for, for whatever reason, we just haven't created a great uh, space to train and equip people in winsome ways to share our faith so that people could be having uh, spiritual conversations, and they would be hearing the same thing I'm hearing. People will say to me all the time, I've never had a conversation like this before. I wish more people could have conversations mm. like this. And, you know, what I'm convinced of, Tom, when someone actually has that experience, they want to have more of them. Yeah. Well, when you say they haven't uh, experienced it, I think it's one of the reasons that you were involved in this new project called Activating God Space, which uh, really helps people experience what you're talking about uh, with others in a safe setting to learn what it means to create God space. Tell me a little bit about what's in this kit, Activating God Space, and uh, how that helps people get comfortable with uh, launching into spiritual conversations. Well, I think a lot of people, uh, there, there, there are a couple of different camps I've learned that some people uh, you need to uh, inspire the desire before you're ready to build the skills necessary. So there are some people who just really do need to both understand, both from a biblical perspective, that Jesus left us here on earth to be his witnesses, to be his ambassadors. I mean, the Bible's loaded with all kinds of, of imagery and uh, different passages that would indicate that we are God's sent ones. We are his mailmen, if you would. And that he left us here to, each one of us has our own route. Our route is that place where our day-to-day uh, life takes us and causes us to, to cross paths with people who are presently outside the faith, but they're inside our reach. They're on our route. And a lot of people just need to, to both know and understand that this is part of following Jesus. This is part of what comes with following him. So some people just need to, you know, to, you need to inspire the desire. And what I love about the Activating God Space Kit is it encourages people to get together in small groups of people that, that, that probably already know each other or have a faith connection. And um, in a very real sense, there's a safe environment created where it's kind of like we're all going to go after this together, which is really neat, instead of me feeling like I have to do it alone, which I think often if you think about the situation at church, a person hears a sermon that, hey, I'm supposed to go do this, but then I guess I'm supposed to go, this, go do this at work by myself. I'm not sure how to do this. And my lack of confidence and competence just causes me never to get around to do it. But to be in a group and do this in a group, Wow, that's a that's a really encouraging thing. Mm-hmm. And then I think there are other people who, who already have the desire. They just need someone to help them build the skills necessary where they can actually 
get a vision for how to do this without being obnoxious, how to get a vision for how to do this in a winsome, respectful way. And so the, what the kit does is it takes people on a journey and uh, uh, it encourages them to turn outward and what would it look like to show up in our day-to-day world uh, ready to engage people in ways that uh, they're ready to uh, to have these kinds of conversations. So I, I think it. what the kit does for people is uh, it it does inspire that desire. It, it, it creates, uh, I think, helps them baby step out of that small group, gives them practical, doable assignments to where they could get out there and kind of stick their toe in the water and come back and report on it, whether it be their failures or their successes. What I like about it is uh, it actually allows people to experience it, to see what it uh, actually looks and sounds and and feels like and and practice it. I think uh, you know before I mentioned that I've heard so many sermons on uh, radiating my faith to those around me, but uh, I I can think of very few examples where I've actually been given the opportunity in a safe place like in a church setting to actually practice it and experience what this is like. And uh, you've provided an opportunity through this Activating God Space kit for people to actually not only, as you mentioned, dip their toe in, but actually jump in and uh, try swimming. It's Without that, it's like uh, the pastor or a leader giving a speech on how to swim to a group full of non-swimmers and expect them to be able to survive once they get out into the real world and, and jump into the lake without having a pool to practice in. Yeah. And what you've provided is the pool for people to jump in and uh, safely try some of these things out. So well, I appreciate that. That's very well put. And I think anybody who who uh, uh, takes the time to jump into the kit, what they're going to find, and, that, and I think this is, this is a huge piece. I think they're going to find practical, doable, authentic assignments. Um, I call them faith adventure challenges that that anyone can pull off. And I think part of my recovery, I, I, I talked about being a recovering evangelist. I think as I look back in my early years in the ministry, a lot of the stuff I was doing, Tom, was really, I'd call them high-wire acts. I mean, only... Only the Green Berets or the Marines or the Navy SEALs, those kind of people would, would be following and saying, yeah, I'm all in for that. But the ordinary Christian was saying, that's way over my head. And the, the big aha I had is, is if God intends for all of us to be his witnesses, then, then, then we should be able to do this. We should be able to pull it off. It should be doable by all. And I think in the Activating God Space kit, uh, part of the focus in creating the kit was was to really make that part of the, the kit so that everyone feels like, hey, I think I can do this. Yeah, I can do this. Well, thank you, Doug. Uh, these uh, resources we've been talking about, God Space and uh, the new resource, Activating God Space, are available from uh, your local bookstores or online retailers or group.com. And uh, I know people would uh, gain a lot from the experience that you share and the practical steps that you walk people through to be more effective in uh, radiating our faith to those around us 24 uh, 7, the people who God has planted right in our midst. Thank you, Doug. Hey, great being with you today, Tom. 